you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Genesis chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 26 through to 28. So if you want to turn over there. All right. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's word. Amen. Aha. Yes. How are you feeling about left and right? I was pretty nervous. So I thought if I, if I sort of hit my leg with a hammer, you wouldn't want to um, hit a man that was down you know, afterwards. So I hope that's effective. Um, seriously, I, just so you know, I broke my leg playing tennis. It's the stupidest thing. I've done it a thousand times, but that's how it happened. And uh, we got that out of the way. And yes, Silly, but there it is. But we are at left and right. And um, if you're here, a big welcome to you. This is my first time Two firsts, first time wearing tracky dacks uh, to preach and first time sitting down. Um, but maybe this is your first time actually engaging with the church or with some of these issues that we're going to be looking at. And they are big issues. And there is going to be some times when this puts some strain on us. And, and what I want it to be like is not strain that results in a bone that breaks, but strain in a way that makes the muscles around the bone stronger. And as a, as a church, we become stronger in our love for one another, stronger in our love for God. So, so if you're at home, welcome to you too. But if you're here this morning as we are, let's come into God's presence again. And I'm going to pray for help um, while we begin this first of what is going to be a pretty challenging series. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you are good. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you created this world as we just heard. And Father, we pray that as we who live in this world look to you, the creator of the world, and we come with questions and we come with uncertainties and we come uh, living in a world that has very strong views on these areas. We ask, Lord, that now as we come together and as we begin as a church to dive in to this series of left and right, we pray for your protection. We pray, Lord, for your blessing. We pray, Lord, that you who are good would use this time together for the good of your people, for our good, Lord, because you want us and you bear us and you, your love towards us is so good. And so this morning, Lord, we do that. We humble ourselves beneath your hand. I humble myself uh, beneath you as, as I come to bring the, world, the word now. And Father, we ask that, that your presence would be real, the Holy Spirit would be active, 
and we know that this is not something that we can manufacture, we never try to, but we come to you and we ask it in faith, and we, it's a faith that we ask, a prayer that we ask in the name of Jesus, and so we know that we have what we ask. Amen. All right. First, the definition. Politics. Uh, what is politics? This series is all about politics, if you saw the intro, isn't it? These issues that we're looking are about politics. What is politics? And I ask for that definition at the beginning because just to make it clear up front, today we are not going to look at one single issue. Uh, today we're setting the framework to look at the rest of them, all of them. But as we begin, what is politics? Well, according to the Oxford Dictionary, politics is, I quote, the activities involved in getting and using power in public life and being able to influence decisions that affect a country or a society. That, that's politics, pretty standard definition, isn't it? And as you consider that definition, every single issue that we're looking at in these next weeks is political, isn't it? Every single one of these issues is controversial. It's, uh, there's, there's people pushing one way and another from the left and from the right trying to influence that decision and influence public policy. That's politics. But a more foundational question than the definition of politics is, what should Christians have to do with politics? Should Christians have anything to do with politics? Well, um, for the person who is not a Christian, and if you're here today or you're watching online, Big welcome to you. But for you, you might see, I don't know, Christianity and politics as like fish and milkshakes. Uh, they're both good gifts of God, if you're coming from my perspective, but mixing them together is not a good gift from God. It's a bad thing. And, and Christianity and politics is like that. Keep them separate. Don't bring them together. And if you are perhaps not a Christian, you might say, well, and Australia is a secular country. We decided to separate religion from politics, and we did it right at the start. So um, section 116 of the Australian Constitution, which you guys read all of the time, but you, you could memorize it, but I'll quote it for you just in case you haven't, haven't uh, read it recently. It says, the Commonwealth shall not make any law for establishing any religion or for imposing any religious observance. So it seems like it's saying, the Constitution is saying, the church and politics, you need to stay apart. Actually, the context of that is quite interesting. When that um, clause was drafted, it was drafted by Christians, actually, and their concern was to stop those dirty Anglicans becoming the established church in Australia. That, that's the context of it. So they said, it's not trying to stop religion and politics, it's just trying to stop one religion dominating all the others. So we want to keep the Anglicans under control. That's why it was founded. And actually... Religious belief and politics, or Christianity and politics, if you like, it's not like fish and milkshakes. It's much more like unicorns and glitter. They go together. And uh, let me explain how. Because at one level, every single one of us, whether we're religious or we're not religious, we have things that are deeply important to us at a foundational level of how we make decisions, how we decide what is right and wrong. In one sense, if you're an atheist or you're a Christian, we all have beliefs that are foundational that guide the way we respond and the way we engage politically. If you're a Christian, hopefully your Christian beliefs are the things that actually determine that political engagement. If you're not a Christian, though, you still have beliefs, foundational beliefs 
Um, and the, those beliefs or those philosophies, if you like, you will bring them with you into the political process. You can't help but do it. So, for example, um, Jonathan Lehman uh, wrote a book recently, and he called it, it's American-based, but it's called How the Nations Rage. And he said this. I think he's right. Listen to this. Behind every Supreme Court decision, protesters picket line, social media campaign, political action committee email, is someone's basic worldview of how things ought to be. And behind that worldview is a God. Our gods determine our morality and they determine our politics unavoidably. They're not always consistent with one another. They're not always apparent to us, but they're always there, determining our political postures and our positions. And the reality is that this is true for the Christian and it's true for the atheist or the secularist. It's just as true for both of them. Um, my mentor and former boss, a guy called Tom Frame, who's an academic and, and author, um, he, he said this about this issue. He says, humanism upholds certain convictions about the way things ought to be, and indeed will be when secularism holds, straight, holds sway. Given its presumption to determine right and wrong and to discern good from evil, humanism accrues to itself, listen to this, all of the prerogatives and the privileges of divinity. You see his point? His point is that for the atheist secularist to insist that religion and politics cannot mix is just to insist that his or her own gods are the only ones that are allowed into the political space. Everyone else is not welcome. Now, not only is that unreasonable, it's actually hypocritical. Uh, for all of us, our deeply held beliefs and politics, they are like unicorns and glitter. You can't separate them. They go together. So, with that... Um, foundation established, I hope. Let me now ask how, and I'm speaking mostly to Christians here, and if, if, you're, if you're coming to think through or observe how Christians respond, listen in and, and you can see how we respond. But this is a question internally for us as Christians. How do we respond to politics? What is our response to the political world in which we live? What do we do? Well, historically, it might help us to think what your response is by thinking how Christians have historically handled this. And there's, there's kind of four basic worldviews coming from a Christian perspective in regard to politics. And coincidentally, it was amazing to discover that they all begin with W. But So let me uh, look at the first one. The first response that Christians have always taken, some Christians, towards politics is worldliness. Um, that is to claim that we are Christians to take the name of Christians, but to engage in politics with that Christianity being separate from the political engagement and instead to be influenced by the world around us. And this happens for those Christians who lean right, and it can happen for those Christians who lean left. So on the right, let's think about what worldliness can look like for Christians who can lean right. Well, one obvious example, and, and I think you've got a, it's a more historical example perhaps, but it is, it is where Christians came to identify the nation, like Australia or America or Britain or whatever it is, the nation became our, our practical God. We said we were Christians, but really what was best for our nation, what was best for everybody. It's a worldliness. It was, we were influenced by the patriotism of the time. Um, another way can be economically. And sometimes you, you can speak to Christians who go like, no, the free market decides what is best. 
So the free market and capitalist system and structure decides the very best distribution of all resources in a society. Now, that may or not, may not be true, but what I'm suggesting is that on the right, that can actually become a, a we say we're Christians, but really, we're, we're worshipping a, a free market, capitalistic kind of God. That happens on the right. Um, honestly, and I know I'm, this is maybe my first really controversial point, I think in Australia today, it's much more easy to see it on the left. And I'll, I'll say why. Well, how does worldliness look on the left? Um, well, it, it tends to happen with, with moral issues. Uh, we live in a society that's changing radically in view to its moral issues. And, and Christians who lean left will, will sometimes go, well, I know historic Christian belief says this about this issue, whatever it might be, but the newspaper and the media and my friends at work and school, they all say this, so therefore I think I'm going to change the way that I interact and what I believe because of those around me. So the obvious one is an issue we're not going to look at in this series, which is homosexuality, right? That, that's an obvious one. Already we're on you know, controversial ground. But homosexuality has never been controversial in the history of the church. It's always been a present reality of, of human experience. But it's been viewed in the same way as heterosexual adultery. Sex at, any sex outside of marriage. It's it's been a pastoral reality, and the church has always said to people who, who commit adultery, heterosexual adultery, or who are um, committing or uh, practicing homosexuality, you've got a place. The church is where you belong. Everybody who falls short of God's standards, the Bible calls it sin, are welcomed and encouraged to gather together and receive forgiveness and grace from God. That's always been the approach for all sexual activity outside of marriage, homosexual or heterosexual. But... It's quite different from what many people today who, who adopt the worldliness approach, that is to say that no, in, in regards to homosexuality or adultery or anything else, you don't need to come into the church for forgiveness. You, you actually come into the church accepting and owning and celebrating your behavior or your actions. Now, that, that is something that is completely alien to, to classic Christianity. It's never been calling good what God calls sin is, is by definition heresy. And, and liberal, um, people who go that liberal kind of Christian route, it's actually a worldliness that ends up destroying the actual essence of the faith. And in today's world, we see uh, worldliness in Australia, we've seen it in, in become very prominent in Christian circles amongst a number of mainline denominations, like the United Church of Australia is one, and the Anglican Church, our own denomination, is another. That's the first response that, that Christians have done historically and today in regard to politics. They've, they've become worldly, or they've let worldliness influence. Secondly, withdrawal. Um, withdrawal is the approach that says, no, politics belongs in the parliament, the gospel belongs in the church, you just don't bring them together. Keep politics out of the church and keep the church out of politics. Um, ironically, this is actually quite similar to the secularist worldview in some way. It makes the same mistake. It says that Christians shouldn't be active in the political process. Um, but as I said before, it's, it's actually impossible not to be involved in the political process if you're a Christian. So let me give you a historical example. We, we've all heard of Billy Graham, I presume. I won't ask. Most of us have heard of, of one of the greatest evangelists of all time, a man called Billy Graham. Incredible man of God. 
Um, during the 1950s and 1960s, when Billy Graham was, I suppose, at the height of his gospel ministry, um, many people in the United States of that time, which is going through the civil rights movement, they said to Billy Graham, what do you think about the civil rights movement? Would you speak into that issue? And Billy Graham steadfastly, for decades, refused. And his answer was always the same. I'm not political. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to get involved in that political issue. Um, later on, a few years ago before he died, uh, Billy Graham publicly apologized for that. And his reasoning for apology was saying that he'd come to realize that to not be involved in politics in a democracy is to be involved in politics. And his point was that if, if you say, I'm not going to engage in a political issue at all, then what you are doing is just supporting the status quo. And he said, the status quo was evil and it was wrong and I apologize. So Christians are involved in politics, whether we like it or not. Part of the thing is to go, well, we're going to withdraw, we're going to pretend that we're not. There's another part of withdrawal that's actually, I think, is better argued. And those in that withdrawal camp will say, for example, that our culture, and I'm speaking directly to the Western culture like Australia, we are beyond the point of no return. So Christians involved in politics, the culture war has been fought and lost. And we need to recognize that. And so what we need to do is to bow out of the political process, wash our hands of it, and say we can't influence it anymore in a positive way, and therefore we need to focus internally. Uh, we need to focus on strengthening the church for the time that one, one day the refugees from this new world will come looking for a place. We need to strengthen the, the walls of the church. And uh, guys like Rod Dreher, some of you may have read him, argues cogently and well for that in his book, The Benedict Option. And he says, um, quote, the church can preserve a culture, an earthly foretaste of the coming kingdom of God, only if it guards its borders, not allowing the values and ideals of the fallen world to creep inside the walls of a redeemed counterculture. So, so people, Christians of that view will say, what's required for the moment is to withdraw. We need to pull back. And historically and practically, you can think of like in America, the Amish or the Hutterites, Mennonites, and some elements of the, of the, the modern Christi, Christian monastic movement, Protestant and Catholic, would go down this line. So worldliness, withdrawal. Thirdly, you know what this third one's going to be? War. War. Uh, for many Christians, politics has become a battlefield. Uh, politics is the place where, where truth and error are competing, competing with one another and battling one another in our public life. And, and for Christians who lean towards war, the argument says, no, 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 we need to use our voice. We need to fight for what is true. We need to contend in the, in the political space. We live in a democracy. We have a voice. We need to use that voice. And this can become, or this can come from a, uh, both a pragmatic and a principled conviction. So uh, pragmatically, this comes from a belief that if only the silent majority would actually speak up, then a lot of the very destructive things that are happening in our society, in our culture, in our politics could be reversed, or at least they could be stopped. They could be rolled back. 
If only the Christians who are asleep in their churches got involved in the political process, we might see a different response and a different nation. There's a pragmatic approach, but it's, it's also a, a pr- principled approach. It's saying, this is good for Australians. We need to fight for, for political viewpoints that are, are draw their basis from the Christian worldview and from the teaching of Jesus because this is good for everybody. And we live in a society that is free, where we have wonderful privileges. And how did that come about? It came about because of Christian influence. It came about because of Christian institutions. It came about because of decades of people who were submitting to the laws of God and creating a society that was completely free. But if we undermine that and we continue to cut the foundations off, we will destroy the basis of our Western civilization. And we can't just sit there and let it happen. We've got to stand up and fight. We've got to, we've got to do this because this is the fight of our time. Uh, and in those, those who would lean towards this response would be those who, who establish and, and maintain involvement with Christian political parties, the Australian Christian lobby here in Australia, and, and p- potentially some of, those, some of those from a Christian basis who are involved in the freedom marches over the last couple of years. So that's, that's war. Now, there's a fourth Christian view, which is actually quite similar to the war option. It, just, it comes at it in a bit different. This is not to war against the gods of culture, but to seek to win them, to have a winsomeness towards them. Now, like those who opt for the the war approach, Christians who who lean this way go, yeah, Christians need to be involved in politics, but not fighting stuff. Um, We need to be there as salt and light. We need to be in the political process and in all the institutions of our society saying, here's an example of counterculturally what it looks like to live as a Christian. So we're not fighting using the political levers and the political process and stuff. We're actually saying we're living authentically as Christians, engaged in our world. And the goal is that the world who we're not fighting but we're seeking to win will look at the way that we live and the influence that we have into the world that we're part of and go, wow, there's something really winsome in that. There's something compelling in that. Uh, Essentially, aiming to win the culture through an attitude of Christian winsomeness, if you like. Now, I call this the Tim Keller approach. Um, many of you might not know who Tim Keller is. He's a New York pastor, author, theologian. And that, I think, would come to perhaps exemplify his approach to politics and the world, at least over the last three or four decades. So worldliness, withdrawal, war, winsomeness. What do you think? What do you think? How should Christians respond Which one maybe describes your instinctive approach to politics? If you had to vote for one, right, (laughs) political series, which one would you vote for? Which one would you think is the best Christian response? Well, to assess that, what I'm going to do in this second part of the message this morning is I'm going to look from the Scriptures, because if we're saying it, what's a Christian response, we've got to engage with what the Scriptures, what the Bible says about these things and what church history and the church over history has said about these things. And, and as I was looking at it, coincidentally, I found seven points and they all begin, begin with C this time. So it's amazing how these things happen. Um, so firstly, how should Christians engage? We need to think about creation. Uh, the Bible insists there's only one God that he created everything and that this loving God delegated to his world, as we heard in the reading, 
what we could call dominion. He delegated to his world, his men and women standing as in dominion over that, he delegated them control over his world. And a key part of that, stewarding the world, is stewarding the politics of the world, because that's how we make decisions. That's how we exercise as human beings' dominion. So the first thing, Christians need to care about politics, because politics is involved with God's world, and we as Christians have to care about God's world. Number one, creation tells us that we do need to be involved in politics. Now, second, Christians should be involved for the common good. Uh, Jesus commanded his followers, love your neighbor as yourself, Mark 12. Uh, politics, the way we steward our common life together, should, Christians should be involved in politics seeking the common good of everybody. Uh, Christians shouldn't be involved in politics to get power for ourselves and to use that power to make sure that we have a privileged existence as Christians. Christians who are involved in the political process, we should be seeking to use whatever political engagement we are doing to have the common good for everyone. That's our goal, the common good. Now, to be even more controversial at the moment, the critique I hear from non-Christian people often is that Christians only really get political when someone treads on our toes, when it concerns us. This is my rights. That's when we get up in arms. That's when we, we get active. That's when we get really involved. And here's, a, here's another controversial example. Uh, many people would argue that the history of gay rights is an example of that. Uh, the church was very happy to go along with the common culture in regard to homosexuality as a sin. Yes, agree with the common culture, it's a sin. But then to actually, the, the actual implications of the way we behave towards people who are same-sex attracted were not often seeking the common good. That could be one example. Another more recent example can be the COVID case. Um, so again, non-Christians I spoke to said like, what is it with you Christians? You know, you're stamping up and down about your right to meet together on Sundays to worship God, worship your God, but what about the common good? Everyone else is, 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 is you know, going, submitting to authorities in society for the good of the common good. And, and you know, what you think about that, I mean, it's, it's a moot point. Were the decisions right? Who knows? Did the government get too involved? Probably. But for outsiders, unfortunately, it often came across as we Christians were involved very concerned about our rights, which weren't always directly linked, in their view, with the common good. So Christians should be engaged in politics for the common good. So creation, the common good. Now, thirdly, compassion. Matthew 25, 45. Then he'll answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Uh, you know the context that comes from, it's the, the, the parable or the example of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus, when he comes, says to people, but Lord, we, we, we called on your name and, and we, we, we did miracles. And he says, did you care for the least of these? So it's a very frightening example from the Lord Jesus, I think. And it's not a one-off. The Bible and Christian history has a massive bent towards the poor and towards the marginalized 
towards those who suffer, the disabled or the unborn. Very strong bent in, in Scripture. You, you can't miss it. You really can't when you read the Bible. If you read with your eyes open, you see God's heart again and again. It's a heart of compassion. And, and Christians in politics, we need to be engaged on behalf of those who are the marginalized. For those people in our context who fit that bill, we, we need to have an overwhelming sense of compassion. All right. <laughs> Common good, creation, compassion. Now, uh, this is cheating a bit, this one. I'm going to say kairos, all right? Does anyone know what kairos means in Greek? It means grace. <clears throat> it's a Greek word for grace. So it is cheating, but anyway, there you go. Um, Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, the Bible's teaching is that everybody is created in God's image. Those who we agree with politically and those who we don't. Those who we'd call our friends and those who we'd call our enemies. We're all created in God's image. The, the Bible teaches that everybody, even, even the most person who seems so far away from us, is endued by God with his image. It's very significant because it says that when Christians engage in politics, as we must, we must do so with grace, with compassion, uh, listening to others, hearing their points of view. That is tolerance. That is Christian tolerance at its best. Saying, look, I, I disagree with you maybe, but I hear what you're saying and I'm not saying that you are evil, bad, all these sort of things. I, I'm, I'm wanting to treat you with the same grace as an image bearer of God, which God treats me with. So there's a, there's a sense that we, we don't fight dirty tactics with dirty tactics. We, we shouldn't have, the Bible says, reviling with reviling. On the social media, someone says something, the Christian response is not to unleash even worse back or the same as they got. We fight for truth, but we need to love and pray for people, and we need to act with kairos, with grace. All right. Fifthly, context. Uh, very briefly here, the Bible gives very clear context for politics, right? Uh, in the Bible, the Bible actually does support, to some extent, a separation of church and state. That's very clear. Uh, in the New Testament, it speaks about that uh, First Peter, we looked at recently, says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And Peter goes on to say, whether it's the emperor, whoever it is, do it for the sake of the Lord. Do what they tell you. And Jesus himself, Mark 12, says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. The Bible says that in, in one sense there are two lanes. The lanes for us as the church of the redeemed and the political institutions which govern the world. And they are not the same thing, and they never should be actually. They're two different lanes. And we need to understand the context that we need to run in our lane. We need to be careful of, of trying to, to tell Caesar how to run his show. Just as Caesar needs to be careful about telling us how to run ours. There's a, there's a separate lanes and we have to run, we have to understand the context of running in our lanes. But sixthly, very importantly, courage. Acts 5.29 but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Christians 
have always engaged in the political process by speaking truth to power. Speaking truth to power. And that takes courage. Christians are called to be engaged in the political process with courage. Speaking the truth when it's popular and when it's unpopular. When, When people give us likes on Facebook and when they give us the thumbs down. We have to have the courage to speak into the world God's truth even when it means we're caricatured or rejected or hated. But remember, with grace, not chest-beating arrogance or bleating, <laughs> bleating in, in a way that suggests that God's ultimate victory is not, is not real. The Christians engage with confidence, not bleeding, not chest-beating, but with courage. Now, finally, and this is a big one, as we think about this series and all the issues we're going to look at, we really have to have a comprehension. The final scene, we have to comprehend something that's really critical. Because in this issue, in this series rather, there are two kinds of issues which you and I are going to be presented with. Two very different issues. They're going to be in the same series. And you could call them, if you like, straight line issues and jagged line issues. I think we have got it. There we go. Got the slide for that. That's good. Hopefully you can see that at home. Um, Straight line issues, jagged line issues. Let's look firstly at a straight line issue. So a straight line issue is where the Bible, God speaks, you draw a straight line to the issue that is involved because it's very clear. So let me give you an example of a straight line issue that we're going to be looking at, racism, right? It's a straight line issue. Has it always been agreed on by the church? No, but it's a straight line issue. Uh, Theologically, it's impossible, honestly, it's impossible to make any kind of case that what color your skin is has any importance to God. You can't do it. Actually, it does have importance to God because the Bible speaks that in all of eternity, there are going to be people with different colored skin, right? So it is important, yeah? But it's not important in who gets into the kingdom of God or who's in the upper part of the kingdom. No, it's not. Racism is a straight line issue. You can be a Christian and be a racist, but you're guilty of an oxymoron. You could say what you like, but if you are racist and I am racist in the way we, we respond, we are simply not being Christian. We're being sinful. It's a straight line issue. Very simple, right? Now, let's look at a jagged line issue. So in a jagged line issue, there is a jagged line from what God says, jagged, to what our response should be. It it zigzags. And and you could land on the left of the zigzag or the right of the zigzag, and you could still be holding an authentically beautiful Christian position on a jagged line issue. All right, lots of jagged line issues in this series. Let me give you one that we're not doing in the series, but one that I know... um, I know we'll get some of us going. COVID-19, right? Now, COVID-19 is a jagged line issue. I have authentic Christian friends in ministry, right? I have some friends who go, the Victorian government did exactly the right thing with vaccine mandates. It did exactly the right thing. They had to do it. They, they were bold and courageous for the best of everybody. I've got Christian friends who hold that view. I've got other Christian friends who go, these guys are in league with Satan. Like, this is so bad. It's so evil. We've got to fight this. Some Christians who are going, yeah, we need to back it. Other Christians are going, we need to fight it. And my view would be that because it's a jagged line issue, 
It's possible for you and I to wrestle with a really difficult issue, to prayerfully and biblically engage with that issue and arrive at a different place and still be authentically Christian. I'm not saying that we don't feel it passionately. I'm not saying that we're not totally convinced that our view is actually right. But a jagged line issue says we, we can't actually say that this is the Christian position. Or even that if you hold a different position on this jagged line issue that I do, you're not a Christian. You are in sin. And the mistake that both sides of that issue and other jagged issues have is, is to categorize people, Christians, who think differently as being evil or being, I don't know, ignorant or being compromised or being lazy, or being asleep, or not really knowing the information that they know, which totally changes their view of the issue. Um, if, you, if you make it a jagged line issue, you start saying, it's my way or the highway. You agree with me, or I'm leaving the church. There's no, there's no room for, for Christian conscience and for Christian disagreement. But when we have a comprehension of the fact that some issues are straight line, some are jagged line, when we have that that reality, we grasp it, it's a beautiful thing for Christian love and unity. Because the world out there, it cannot disagree. It, 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 it disagrees violently all the time. It's zero sum. I win everything or I lose. But within the church, as God's people, there are jagged line issues that we are going to feel differently. Some of us lean left, some of us lean right. But when we come to that with an approach of Christian humility and Christian unity, that's when the bone doesn't break, the muscles get stronger because we love one another. We go like, I cannot believe that you think this about this issue. Ah, why do you think that? You know, and then instead of going like, I'm going to throw stones at you and we're going to go and form a new church where everyone just believes what I think about this issue, we're actually going to say, let's work together. Within Christian history, there's been this saying which basically sums it up. It says, in essentials, unity. In straight line issues, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. We need to comprehend that as we come to this series. Uh, we need to comprehend that you will certainly disagree with me on many jagged line issues that we're going to look at. You will disagree with the preacher multiple times. I would be totally shocked if you didn't. I'm expecting it. it it's, that's, that's some of the danger, isn't it? That we're stirring up, if you like. We're, we're putting the light on issues in which Christians some, sometimes on those jagged lines are going to disagree. And some people say, don't go there because Christians are going to disagree. Of course they're going to disagree. But I think this is a moment of maturity where we can actually look at issues and, and agree to disagree in love. I think, think that would be a massive win. So there's going to be Differences, though, on straight line issues. On straight line issues, I and the other preachers are going to stand up here from God's Word and say, this is the Christian view. This has been the view of God's Word from the beginning. Christians have always believed this. And if you try to make this straight line issue into a jagged line issue, you're in sin. You try to say, this is not sinful. When the Bible says it's sinful, we will call you out. And I will call you to repent. Yeah, you've got the, you can disagree with me as much as you like, and I will say you are in sin, and that you need to repent. You're welcome, 
you're welcome to disagree. You're a human being. You have the freedom. God gave you that freedom, but you'll be judged for that freedom. And his word says this. That's an authority I believe scripture gives me, not me personally, but coming from his word. Trying to make a straight line issue into a jagged line issue is sinful. And so is trying to make a jagged line issue into a straight line issue. Both of them are sinful. All right. The stakes are high, aren't they? There's, there's a lot that's coming into this, this series ahead. I want to I end with a couple of, of practical things. So I spoke about worldliness, spoke about withdrawal, war, or winning the culture. What's your response? How do you think God's revelation in his Bible, in his word, says that maybe you might engage with those issues politically? I want to suggest to you there's another W that we haven't considered yet. And that's the W that we would call witness, engaging as witnesses. I don't just mean, we would say in English now, we'd say, I'm a witness of something that happened. I wasn't involved in it, I just saw it happen. That, that's the way we'd often use the word witness in English. But does anyone know what the Greek word from which we get the word witness comes from? Come on, cheers, you know. Mata. Matros. That's the Greek word which from which we get martyr, and it's the Greek word for witness. It's not meaning that you look detached at a situation. It means that, it means that you're a witness of Jesus Christ, that you're someone who has been profoundly transformed by the good news of grace that you found or that God has found revealed to you. You're a witness to something that's bigger. You're a witness in a world that's divided of, of, of an, a God of incredible love, who's got a plan and a purpose for each one of his people and who calls out to those who are not yet in his community with arms open wide. You're a witness to that one working in his world. And because you're a witness, sometimes you will have those three views, which I think are all legitimate Christian views. Sometimes because you're a witness to God, you will withdraw from society for a while because you'll be strengthening the bonds of what remains. You'll have that kind of withdrawal approach. Other times, because you're a Christian, you will be at war. You'll be fighting for truth in the public places. You'll be unpopular. You'll be standing up for what is true, even if no one else goes with you. Sometimes you will do that as a Christian. Other times, you'll be winsome. Uh, you'll be looking at the world and you live and, and not engaging directly with the political process, but you'll be showing to the world what it looks like for a Christian who lives in a divided world to be different. Those are all valid responses to politics. But above them all is the whole thing that you're a witness. And sometimes you may opt for one, sometimes for another, sometimes for, a, I think, a, a mix of those responses. But always, you and I are witnessing, and we are witnessing to the fact that when we think about politics and the struggle for Remember, politics is the, the, the struggle you know, for, for policy and, and power and, and the way things operate in our communities. You and I don't live, this is not our forever home, right? This is not our forever home. As Christians, we're engaged in the political process for all of the reasons that I gave you, all those C's. But this is not our forever home. This is, this is not like we're, we're fighting every battle as if our whole existence depends on it. It doesn't. You and I are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the reality that while we are living in this world now, Jesus hasn't taken it out of us, taken us out of the world, he's taken the world out of us, 
but we're still in the world, but this is not our home. He's coming to take us to our home. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. So we must not wash our hands of politics, but we must not fight as if it's some sort of utopia that we're going to achieve here on earth. We won't. All right. That is the sweep of where we're covering. Now, hopefully, hopefully we've got some parameters, right? Hopefully, this week in gospel communities, you've got some things that you can discuss. Maybe, where do I land? You know, what is my natural inclination? And then you can ask, is it the right inclination that I have? We can look together at Scripture and say, what, what, is, what is the Bible saying Christians should respond to? How's the church responded? Those are all really good things. But my heart and my prayer over everything else, and it's actually, to speak very frankly with you, why I personally vetoed this last series the last two times that it was put forward, was because at that stage, I, I was really concerned for the unity of us as a church. I was really concerned that, that by speaking with these things openly, we may actually divide our beautiful church on the grounds of something that we should never divide over. But I'm asking that as we come to this series, you will come prayerfully. But as we look at some of these hot issues, and we're going to speak to these as frankly and directly as we know how. When they're straight line issues, we're going to speak to as a straight line. And when they're jagged, we're going to help us to see that some of our jagged responses are maybe, maybe not the best even. But we need to do that with the humility and with dependence on God and His Word week by week where you and I come before God and we go, you know what, I could be wrong. There's lots of jagged line issues where I really could be wrong. And that we come with, a, with an openness to say, God, would you teach me more what it looks like to live and walk with Jesus in this really divided world? Help me to have a more authentic love for others and for you in the way I live my life now. That's my prayer and I need you to join with me in it because I want us to come more united out of this series than we've gone in more fixing our eyes on Jesus, more knowing Jesus and making Jesus known, all right? That's my prayer, and I, and I really believe, just looking at you, I can see, yes, that's your prayer too. You're saying, yes, that's what we want. We want to be real, but we want to be unified too. So in line with that, this seems like a perfect opportunity. See, everyone needs a hoodie. Um, take out your, your communion cup. If you haven't got one, I think we've got some, some people at the back, yes, we do, thank you. Um, so if you don't yet have one, uh, musicians are gonna come up and play for us. Stick your hand up if you need one. Oh, thank you. But while people are coming up, have you ever considered Jesus' disciples? So we're remembering in this moment, the Last Supper. Have you ever considered politically who was around that table? at the Last Supper. It's the most extraordinarily diverse political meal. You've got, on one hand, you've got Mr. Right Wing. Who was he? Simon the Zealot. He was a freedom fighter. You know, he, he was a, a terrorist, actually, in many words. You've got Simon the Zealot. Who have you got on the other side of the table? You've got Matthew the Collaborator. Matthew, Mr. Left. You know, we're in the... And these guys are sitting around the table, and Jesus is saying to them, well, he's, pray, he's just praying for them. He says, my prayer is that you would be one, like we're one. And as he shares communion, he, he shares that bread and the wine with the zealot and with the tax collector, with the left and the right. 
And you and I, we come and we're about to share communion. And that's recognizing that in our church now, healthily, there's a real diversity on many things, right? But we are united in one thing, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the night that he was betrayed, you know, he took the bread. And think about bread. Bread is many grains that are brought into one body, just like many people, many Christians brought together, united in what we're about to do in the bread. Jesus took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. So if you would take that top layer and take up the bread, Many grains are brought together in one. And Jesus said, take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's eat and remember the Lord Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. You can feel the second layer back. And I don't know, have you ever thought what Jesus thought as he looked at them, knowing that he's about to go to his death, that his own blood is going to be poured out, looking at those disciples with all their divisions, with all their political views, and then saying to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shared for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sin. The reality is that you and I have have sinned, haven't we? Just like them. Some of us have sinned in this area of politics by not being involved or being involved in the wrong ways or with the wrong attitudes. Some of us have sinned by the way we've been divisive and we've been saying and acting in a way that has brought division to the body of Christ. Some of us haven't listened. Been so strong and so sure we know what's right. Lots of things. When Jesus took up the cup, this is my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's be thankful that as God's people, we are forgiven. We're set free. And the blood of Jesus is the means by which that happens. So let's drink and be thankful to the Lord Jesus. Oh God, we, we thank you for the bread and for the juice. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came into a divided world and you shone the light with purity, with courage, with creation, and yet with compassion and warmth. And Lord, we pray that um, as we begin this series, that you'd stir up our hearts, that you'd, you'd help us to think clearly, that you'd humble us beneath your hand. And Lord, as we come to this series, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, we are one. In Jesus Christ, we have a hope that the world needs. In Jesus Christ, we, we are His ambassadors until the King comes, the great, the great King above all politics, the great one who has given us dominion over this world and will one day come and rule over it directly again. So Lord, we thank You for all of that. We pray that as we sing, You'd fill our hearts with joy and that, Lord, in these next weeks ahead, this would be the best time in our church's history. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.